Praise the Lord. Amen. Good morning, Grace of Truth Church. Everyone else in any other place that's watching at any other time. Bless you all. Glory to God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Pray with me. Hello, Heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for these precious children of yours that you've sent here to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ today. Thank you for using me. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage. Thank you, Lord, for using this wonderful praise and worship to plow the hearts of your children so they might receive the precious word of the manna from heaven into good ground that it may take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, I talked at great length about the Passover lamb went back to exodus and we looked at looked at that passover lamb and how they killed the lamb without without spot or blemish and they captured the blood in a basin and how it was there available to them for their protection, for their well-being. But until it was dipped with hyssop and applied to the place where they lived, it was of no use. It was made available, but it was of no use. They had to transfer the blood from the basin To the place where they need the provision and protection. huh? So it was all type and shadow of the blood of Jesus. He's that lamb. And we have to apply that blood to our lives. As we say what God says. That the blood does. We transfer that blood from the basin. To where we need it. Right. To our lives. And our authority is exercised. And it provides everything we will ever need. When we say. That everything the blood of God does. It is doing for us right now. Amen. Then we'll experience the victory. And the power. And the protection. That is ours because of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, we have a part to play. When we do this, we advance the kingdom of God. Fortress to fortress, tearing down strongholds, the word says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, Paul Describes us. The weapons of our warfare are not of the, of, of the flesh. They're not carnal. 
See, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It might seem like it sometimes. But if the Lord got a hold of that person and the enemy stopped influencing them, it would be altogether different. So that's what we're praying for. We're fighting a spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. These are demonic fortresses erected by the enemy of our soul and his army, the demonic army. That is the spiritual warfare that we are in, whether we recognize it or not. And just refusing to acknowledge it ensures that we'll suffer loss in it. But being prepared and knowing who we are and what we have and our true identity in Christ is very helpful to the Christian. Amen. Amen. Do you understand this goes against the teaching of, of 95% of the churches in this 6 million person city that we live in? That's why I teach it so strongly because this is this was the mandate from the Lord to me 15 years ago. This is why Samuel drives from Pasadena, Texas without his family temporarily Amen. to come here. I tried to send him to other churches where I thought he would get the same message because he was, he was brought up and deeply rooted in a denominational background that, dis, that teaches that these things are a lie of the devil. That's what's being taught. That's why we want to create disciples that know who we are and what we have in Christ. Instead of people standing in the pulpit and teaching that supernatural healing and prosperity and blessings are of the devil and sickness and strife and divorce are things that God puts on you to teach you a lesson. Lies of the devil. Amen being taught in the churches of America and all over the world. And if people don't think that that's an important enough difference in what we do here to jump on board and to pitch in and to do everything we can to get this message taught, especially to our young people, to protect the young people and the young lives that are being affected by this godless world, then you haven't heard anything I've been preaching. Because <laughs> I don't really change. I got 5,000 different ways to preach the same thing. Amen. These demonic fortresses I'm talking about, military terms, right? Because it's a spiritual warfare that we're fighting. They're erected by the enemy. Usually right between people's ears. Yeah. In verse 5 it says, We destroy arguments. He's, he's explaining now what those demonic strongholds are. These fortresses. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion. That means high-minded or prideful or, you know, the scholarly type. These arguments, these opinions, these thoughts of others, yes, of others, but even and especially, I would say, in our own minds, our strongholds, we have strongholds. 
sometimes. Probably none of you. But I've dealt with a few. Just wrong thinking. Didn't line up with God. And you know, the majority, that, you know why they teach those things in churches? Because when things don't line up, when people don't let the word of God stand in the way of what they want to believe. That's right. Unfortunately. And the traditions and doctrines of men handed down over time and generation, mama and them, you know, it's affected people. And they just don't refer to this book very often. They believe what they believe. It's good enough for mama and them. It's good enough for them. You see? It shouldn't be so. Once you come to the knowledge of the truth and that it doesn't line up with the word of God, what you've been taught, you need to bear your cross. And you need to make a decision. And you need to say, well, I was taught wrong, but I'm going to agree with you, Lord. If God said it, that settles it. Raise every thought and a lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's what I'm talking about. Anything that disagrees with God. And they take every thought captive. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we're destroying arguments and things from other folks in a loving way. Huh? If we, God gives us a window, a door of opportunity. But, but we're not taking others' thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Who's he talking about? Paul, even. His own. And all of the apostles and all of the ones teaching. We're taking our own thoughts captive, making sure they, they, they get under the blood. They get into the agreement with God. Here's the thing. Write this down. Stick it on your refrigerator. If you don't take your thoughts captive, they'll take you captive. Paul was good at this. The Apostle Paul. Greatest grace preacher of all time. Other than Jesus. I'm getting it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> if, you know, if you know how much I disagree with that. But Paul was good at it. He wrote it in his letter to Timothy. When he knew he was about to go home. They severed his head from his body, you know. Second Timothy, Paul wrote in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He said, I have fought the good fight. He's saying, see you later, Timothy. I'm giving you some final instructions, young preacher. I've fought the good fight, he said. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Fighting the good fight is keeping the faith. Standing in faith. You know what that is? Hope. Hope is just prolonged faith. With the Christian, hope is a confident expectation of good from God. And it always points back to the cross. Back to Jesus. Back to the shed blood of Calvary. Back to his back to his death, burial, resurrection, and enthronement. And the fact that you are seated with him right now in heavenly places. Amen. That's our hope. And then we're going to be with him forever. 
That's why we don't suffer and grieve like the rest of the world, not, not permanently. There's a time for it, right? Okay. But we have hope. Not just a hope and a wishing, which is just not, <laughs> not Christian hope. Huh. <clears throat> I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, because of that, he says, coming ahead of me, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Hallelujah. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. What confidence. Look at that. On that day. And not only to me, he says, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Why does he know that? Why can he say that with such certainty? When there are churches out there on the other end of the spectrum of what I just told you they're teaching. There are other churches out there teaching that you better be perfect. You better be holy. You better earn it. Or else, Paul said, no, 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 no. You know, you know, the ones who started thinking like that, the Galatian church, he said, he's bewitched you. You started out in the spirit. Now you want to finish in the flesh. This is a gift from God for all of us who put our trust in God, our faith in God. Samuel was telling me about earlier. He said, I'm blessed because I, my trust is in God. I've been fighting. Probably not like Paul did. They beat the crud out of him everywhere he went. Try to feed him to the lions. But I've been fighting a good fight, I think. For, oh, November 20th, 2023. This year will be 16 years. The spiritual war as a, a soldier in God's army the fight of faith taking thoughts captive tearing down strongholds bearing my cross daily being a disciple a learner a follower a student of Jesus loving and living and seeking his way not mine Do you ever get weary? You ever get weary? I'm not talking so much about the physical weariness. Although the kind I'm talking about will make you physically tired as well. No. It's this mental weariness. They say it's caused by the world says it. Science says it's caused by something called chronic stress. They say. That's the most frequent cause of this mental exhaustion. This, this chronic stress keeps your brain and, and your body on high alert all the time. You see? And then over time this begins to, to wear away at your well-being. Some of the signs of this weariness, these, these symptoms can be, they can be physical, mental, emotional. They say, 
They list all kinds of things. Chronic tiredness, sleepiness, lack of energy, headache, dizziness, sore, aching muscles, all from your, your mental state. Muscle weakness, slowed reflexes and responses, impaired decision-making and judgment, moodiness, such as irritability. So, lots of physical and emotional manifestations of this stuff. Even something called compassion weariness. That was a new one on me. But right when I saw it, I was like, oh. we can't have that. You know what I mean? I mean, just, just reverse the words. You're weary of, of being compassionate. In other words, you, you get so weary, you get so worn down and broken down mentally that it affects your, it affects your body and everything else. And then you, you can't even be compassionate to others anymore. You go into basically what I'm seeing is just you go into self-preservation mode and you're mad about it. You're upset. You're just at the end. You see? And listen. I love the Lord. And I, I've caught myself getting to that place. I'm like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm in this world, but I'm not up. Jesus died to deliver me and you from this present evil age. You know, you know what's about geese? You know how they fly in this bee formation? They stay in the in formation, this bee, and then and then because one just stays slightly behind the other like that to the on his wing and, and, it, and it reduces the wind drag. Takes some of the load off, right? And then like when the, the leader there's always one that's leading and he, you know, he has no one reducing the wind drag. So every once in a while he get tired. He get physically weary <laughs> and he'll, he'll, he'll fall back and someone else will take over the lead for a while. Carry the load, you see. We need to be at least as wise as geese, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> huh? We need to stay in line with believers who are headed in the same way that we are. We need each other. When that head goose gets tired, he just rotates, rotates back and he got someone to count on. We need to help carry the burden of, of our fellow believers during times of hardship. Sometimes just a phone call or a smile or, you know, I had a lady stop me in the grocery store one day a few years ago. I had seen her five minutes earlier 
she found me about five hours over and just stopped me to thank me. For what, I said? For smiling at me. You never know. I thank God for the strong believer that he has placed in my life. I can't tell you how thankful I am to be a source of strength and encouragement to me. Because sometimes when you get in that weird place I was talking about earlier, which I don't want to even claim that, but it'll come after you sometimes. Being aware is a good thing. That way you know when to say, oh no, this isn't God. But sometimes just a, just a little word of encouragement. Just just keep pressing on. You're almost there. I know that breakthrough is there. I know it's hard right now, but just press on through and you're going to be glad you did. I'm like, praise God. All right. That, that'll get me another hundred miles. I thank God for my brother, Russell Lorfe. Thank God for my wife. I thank God for all of you. Who has God given you? Do you turn to them? Or do you just turn off? Don't, don't turn off. Don't answer that question. Just don't turn off. And don't call that worldly friend that will agree with you and wallow with you. And fall apart like a $3 suitcase with you. When things go south, they'll go with you. Don't call that one. <laughs> call someone like me. She's going to be so kind and compassionate. And then she's going to roll up her spiritual sleeves and say, "Let's all right, let's pray. What's the word say? We're going to stand on this scripture. You need me to bring you some chicken soup. <laughs> You'll be very blessed if she does. Because <laughs> it's the best. Everybody that's tried it knows it. <laughs> oh. But this, you know, this is important. Do you know that God gives strength to the weary? <laughs> I, I mean, that is a good place to talk about that, wouldn't you think? God gives strength to the weary. Don't you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't, you might just be religious and that won't save you folks. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So the way he gives strength to the weary is that he, he, he gives himself to you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I love Psalm 103. I, I'm just reading the whole thing if I turn over there. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. But in the fifth verse, 
It says, and he promises to satisfy our souls with good things. Our soul is where we get weary, folks. It's our personality, our mind, our will and emotions. The kind of weariness I'm talking about. You know? Jesus summed it up best. It's always best to go to Jesus. You're trying to get a synopsis of something. I'm just one of those that just believes that Jesus says that that's, that's, that's the ultimate. Huh? Remember the Gospel of Matthew? Oh, well, God would never use somebody like that. He was a wicked old tax collector taking advantage of his own people. Jesus used him. <laughs> Jesus' great-grandmother was a prostitute before she became the one that God used to hide those spies before they attacked Jericho. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. He could have just left it right. That could have just, that could have just been the Bible. <laughs> Jesus said, come to me. That's, the, that's a word from God. And if, if that's really, if we would just do that. <laughs> he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Over in Matthew chapter 12, I won't go there for time's sake because it just gets better and better. I'll probably just keep reading right into the 13th. But I tell you, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, because they were always messing with him about doing stuff on the Sabbath. You know, I still have friends, even Christian friends that, they keep always throwing up the Sabbath. People breaking the Sabbath. You know, Jesus told them right there in Matthew 12. He said, I, the Son of Man, talking about himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. He said he's Lord of the Sabbath. That's in, in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 12. But they were always trying to kill him because he did good things on the Sabbath. He healed somebody. And they'd say, well, that's work. But, you know, the Sabbath was always a type. I could teach for a week on the Sabbath. It was always a type. I want you to, I, I, I always talking about types and shadows. And I've been going to the Old Testament a lot. And with Moses, I started showing you types and shadows. How everything was a type and shadow. Because when you read it, I want you to read it through the new covenant lenses of grace and truth. See everything as Jesus. All pointing to Jesus or a picture, a type and shadow of Jesus. Something to do with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It was always a type. A shadow of him and the rest that he would 
provide, that we would enter through relationship with Him. Mm, that's the Sabbath. Rest. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. And I'm reading this out of the Amplified because I wanted to drive it home. The Amplified just amplifies everything, adds to it, makes it clarity to you. It says, therefore, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, I encourage you to go find out what it's there for. But it says, therefore, let no one judge you in regard to food or drink or in regard to the observance of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And here's why. Verse 17. Such things are only a shadow of what is to come and they have only symbolic value. But the substance, the re reality of what is foreshadowed belongs to Christ. <laughs> I, I, I want to just labor this a little bit because it's, 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 it's so weird. People just, they start out, you know, you get saved by faith. You, you just come to the Lord. Okay, I, I, I believe. I believe. I, also, I believe. He came and died for my sins on the cross. <clears throat> I say this prayer. and I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. Jesus is Lord. And, and God raised him from death. Okay. And they receive him by faith. Their, their whole eternal destiny based on receiving something they didn't deserve and then they go right back you're not observing the sabbath what, what? <laughs> it says so as you have received jesus so walk in him how'd you receive it by a simple prayer of faith by believing on him he they even asked him what, 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 what must we do to do the works that god requires in other words how what do we have to do to be saved we want to make sure we don't miss miss anything he said, believe in me. Believe on the one that God has sent. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, the first 11 verses. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation because it just makes it, it's for, for everyone to understand. <laughs> God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good, not be, and see right away, people that are legalistic, they think, oh, what did I do wrong? You see that? It makes you think, so some of you might fail to, so we always think we're supposed to live up to something, to earn something. You see, it's just instilled in us. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the opposite. You know how you failed to experience it? By, by thinking you can earn it. He's going to explain that. For this good news, the gospel is the good news. Verse 2, that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Talking about us just as it had been announced to the, the Jews. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. They didn't mix it with faith. For only we who believe can enter his rest. You see that? 
As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. He always planned to offer it. His nature is love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and goodness. We know it's ready because of the place of, in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. <clears throat> you know, if you have a whole denomination, a Christian, supposedly Christian denomination, derived from that seventh day, that, that Sabbath day, that seventh day Adventist. God bless them. They would make wonderful believers. They're very dedicated. Yeah. Same as the ones that knocked on my door yesterday. There's about five or six or seven of them out there. It looks so nice, so dedicated, walking in the heat. I just want to go out there and tell them, just, just enter his rest. Quit trying to earn your way to heaven. But I did. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest, talking about the Jews. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. <laughs> God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had seen, he's the one that brought them into the promised land after God, Jesus buried Moses up on that mountain. If Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So the law never did it. Never was supposed to. But some of them try to put their confidence in their law-keeping abilities. And it was only really supposed to drive them to the end of themselves. And some other things it was supposed to accomplish simultaneously. But that was the main thing. Lord, we can't do this. Just have mercy on us. Okay. That was the goal. He was ready to say, okay. I, I've always known that. I just want you to know you needed me. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest had rested from their labors. It doesn't mean you quit your job. It just means that you rested from your trying to earn God's salvation, right? Spiritual truth. Just as God did after creating the world. So, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, and again, people are, oh, Ten Commandments. No. We only have one law now, and it's the law of love. And we're called to live a life of faith. That's obeying God. Okay? As the people of Israel did, obey, they disobeyed, then, then if we do, that will fail too. How did they fail? By trying to earn their salvation by their own good deeds apart from the love and mercy and grace of God. Can't do it. The New Testament Sabbath, just to make things clear, the New Testament Sabbath rest is simply a relationship 
with God through Jesus Christ where we have stopped trying to earn our way to heaven and are letting God work through us. So it doesn't mean we just go about our business and just do whatever we want to because we're just, well, I believe he's going to save me and it don't matter what I do. No, that's ridiculous. Anybody who really has a relationship with the Lord isn't going to keep on sinning. It's just not fun anymore. Trust me. It's, it, you get to a place where you ask yourself every day, all day, is this what Jesus wants? You know what I mean? And, and when it's not, you're like, And now nah, that don't feel, that don't feel right. I don't think the Lord approved. <laughs> and so I don't even, I don't care what, if it sounds good, sounds fun, whatever. If you know it don't line up with Jesus' teaching, then just, just avoid it. He'll explain later. He might not explain right then. He's, he's letting you choose him for him. He's letting you trust in him knowing that even if you think you have a better idea he sees a lot further than we do doesn't he and he loves us a lot more than we even love ourselves or others Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ this is why we say is this what Jesus wants why because we reckoned ourselves dead, didn't we? Didn't we die with Jesus on that cross? Aren't we seated with him now? Aren't we part of his body and he's the head? So we're called Christ. I look at May and she's got a body and a head. I call all that May. Both parts. <laughs> Jesus is the head. The church is his body. We're Christ. So it doesn't matter what William thinks anymore. If it doesn't line up with Jesus... People say, what do you think? I'm like, well, you mean what's the word say? You don't want, I don't know. I don't even care about what I think. I don't want, I'm scared of what I think. I got to find out what Jesus says. Most of the time I know in advance, but sometimes I got to go back and check with him. <laughs> don't you? <laughs> Everything's not that cut and dry. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I'm living by faith in Christ because the same power that raised him from the dead lives in me and gives life to this mortal body. Because this mortal body really did die with Christ. And it was resurrected from the dead. And now it's Holy Ghost power. Praise God. That's why I'm telling you as a believer. As a spirit filled born again believer. Your life is either supernatural. Or it's superficial. Hebrews 4.10. For whoever has entered God's rest. Raise your hand. Has also rested from his works. His efforts to gain the approval of God 
so that you'll be accepted into heaven. No, just <laughs> Jesus did that for you. Whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did it from his. This means we stop trying to earn our salvation and we live a life according to the spirit of God in us as children of God in the love of God and in the power of God and not our own. Praise God. So the Sabbath is not a day. It's a relationship with Jesus where we live continuously in a perpetual state of rest in his love and his strength. And he uses us to be his hands and his, his feet and his ambassadors while we are here in this world. Jesus, on the cross, completed all the work necessary to earn salvation for everyone who ever lived. For us all. He said, it is finished. <coughs> Everything necessary. But we, it requires a faith response from us. And now we rest. Amen. Now we have hope. Like Paul did. A confident expectation of good from God. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Amen. When I get to heaven because I've trusted in Jesus and not in my own works. <laughs> this is a man who had persecuted and had Christians killed. The first Christian that was martyred after the day of Pentecost was Stephen. And Paul was standing there. He was still Saul at the time. And he was a religious leader of the day out to kill Christians. And he stood there approving of them stoning Stephen. And he's standing here and he writes later on, I have fought the good fight of faith. He mentions all that. And he explains how God forgave him because he was in, acted in ignorance and all that stuff. But still, can you imagine? He was out teaching everywhere. He had to face a lot of those families probably of family members who things he couldn't undo <laughs> and had to stand in faith and confidence that he was forgiven for that and that they needed to listen to him now because he had a revelation of Christ. Like no other. So we have a confident expectation of good. Not of judgment. But times of refreshing. This is something that I rely upon. Whenever I'm going through. Any kind of a valley in my life. I know that times of refreshing are coming. When I start to get weary. I just say. Lord, I know that you're with me. That ram in the bush is right around the corner. That provision, that protection, that healing is on the, is on the way. It's, it's in me already. I'm releasing it by speaking what's already in me. I'm just expediting the release of it from my spirit into my natural body, into this life. Putting the blood on the mantle and the doorpost where I can use it now. So we never give up. We just keep showing up. We keep looking up. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2, verse 9 and 11 through 11. You know, before I, you know, the Bible gives us 
just every good reason to, to be, to live as optimists, doesn't it? You know? It's a, everything in this life, it, it has a lot to do with our attitude, folks. Our attitudes are so important. I'm talking about the, the, the glass half full, the glass half empty, folks, you know? One sees the glass half full, one sees the glass half empty. They both spoke the truth, but their attitudes are completely different. We are supposed to be half full folks. I'm going to finish up, so I don't want to go over, but go and look in Numbers chapter 13. I talk about it all the time. We'll minister on that. Numbers chapter 13 and then Numbers chapter 14 about when God told Moses to send spies out into the promised land to spy out the land. Remember that? And he told them, he said, go check it out. There was a dozen of them. I mean, they were supposed to go check it out. They goes, go see, go see who lives there, see if they're strong. I mean, you know, everything a, a military, you know, uh, scout would do. See if they're, where they live, if their camps are strongholds. If they have walls around them or if they're just, you know, camps with tents or whatever. Go and check out, you know, the... Uh, what grows there, all, you know, what the food supply, just go check out everything and bring back a report. So it wasn't like they weren't supposed to acknowledge that there was anything opposing them there because there was, there, there was giants that lived there, <laughs> for one thing. But one cluster of grapes, two men had to carry on a pole. The giants were big and so were the grapes. <laughs> And they came back and 10 of them had a negative report. Because Caleb jumps up. I mean, they just start telling what they saw, you know. Just tell them what they saw. Like half glass, glass half full, half empty. They, they were just making a report. And all of them said pretty much the same thing about what they saw. And then Caleb jumps up first off and he says, let's go. Let's go. We can take them. And the others, the other 10, there's, there was 12, but there's still, there's Joshua, he was, he was going to end up being on Caleb's side. But, but the 10, they, they got mad. No, we can't. You're crazy. They'll kill us. We, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, and, and we saw ourselves that way. Yeah, there's a problem. And Caleb's like, no. And then Joshua's like, no, hey, hold on. We can go. God is God is for us. God, if God approves of us, you know, we'll we'll take these people, and it's a it's a good land and all that. So then they they wanted to stone all stone them, you know, and then God turned on them. And that's when they he said none of those negative Nellies are going in. None of this whole generation, because the whole congregation, they call it, all two million of them or whatever, they were going to kill the two good reporters. They were going to stone them. And they were talking about, let's, let's pick a leader and let's go back to Egypt, where they were slaves. <laughs> and God said, that's it. They're not going in. This whole generation is going to die out. They're going to spend 40 years out here. should just take a few days to go across that desert and get to where they're going. But they're negative 
attitudes prevented them from going in, and God said, they all got to die before. They even gone, only ones going in, Joshua and Caleb, along, you know. And, uh, but I, I will read one thing. In the 14th, in the 14th, something that always was sad to me, because the Lord, it's always like the Lord is just like, what do I got to do, man? You know? What do I, how many good things do I have to do in your life? For you to acknowledge me and to trust me. And, and look, all the way back. It's like when Jesus said, when I return, will I even find faith? You know, that's sad to me that he had to say that. And he meant it. But in the 14th chapter, look at the 6th verse. Uh, numbers. I apologize. Numbers. <laughs> That's the fourth book of the Bible. And uh, in the sixth verse of the 14th chapter, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is when they were going to stone them and stone Moses and everybody. The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give us, give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. And they're talking about giants. They're bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Their protection was removed. They were saying. Because they're speaking by faith. Because God was with them. So it didn't matter what size. Giant or enemy they were coming up against. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. Is what they said. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting. To all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses. How long. Will this people despise me? Isn't that sad? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Man, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 9 through 1, 11. 9, 11. 9 Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has exalt, highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, I'm talking about reasons why we have been given to be optimists, folks. Didn't I just say that we are Christ? We're his body. He's the head, we're the body, so we're Christ. We're in him and he's in us. And God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
There is nothing that has a name. No one. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So every earthly king, he's their king. Every earthly governor, he's their governor. Every earthly person of authority, he's the authority over all that. And he is your Lord and Savior and brother and friend and kinsman redeemer. And Savior. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Christ, you have every reason to be an optimist. If you will just apply that blood by speaking everything that it says in the word that it does for you or has accomplished on your behalf, if you'll speak it, you'll be speaking your future. If you keep agreeing with the devil and saying what he says or what you see, you're going to keep having what you say because you're just throwing more bad seed right on top of it. I'm sorry, but that's the truth because it's a spiritual law that God said is going to be in place as long as this world is here. The law of sowing and reaping and even our words are in seed form. We have to get lined up with what God says about us and quit going by what we see and going by what he says and say what he says until we see what he says. That's the way it works. In Christ, you have power, authority, you're blessed, you have provision, you have protection, you have healing. That's all part of the children's bread. Do you believe it? John 14, verses 12 through 18. The Gospel of John, verse 14, chapter 12, 14, verses 12 through 18. Excuse me. Tongue tied there. Jesus said, truly, truly. See, he even has to, like, please listen to me. Truly, truly, I'm telling you. I say to you, whoever, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And you know what he did? What does it say in Acts 10, 38? Haven't you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Who was anointed with power and with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God was with him. <coughs> Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than will he do than these because I'm going to the Father. Huh. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So he's talking about things that glorify God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. He's like, Okay, Lord, let me, help me rob this bank. <laughs> you know. No. You see what I'm saying? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What's his commandment? Love. And I'll ask the Father. And he'll give you another helper. And it's a capital H. That's a person. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit, capital S, 
of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you yet a little while in the and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. So he's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he is going to be your helper. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to be your paraclete. He's going to come alongside you and grab hold together with you of all the things that come against you. He's, I'm and, and so I'm with you in the third person of the Trinity. I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. Don't ever make him say what he had to say to Moses and them. How long are they going to despise me? When are they going to start believing and trusting in me? How much do I have to do for them to just start calling me good and trusting in me? Luke 10, and I'm, I'm done. Good man. You do that other slide. You look 10, verse 25 through 37. I just want to share this with you. It's a story of the Good Samaritan, so you can glean a lot from it. But don't let me get off track because we're still talking about the Holy Spirit, believe it or not. And I'll show you. So listen up, because you probably never heard like this. God showed me this a long time ago. And it's blessed me ever since. Jesus was there with his disciples. It says, and behold, in the 25th verse of Luke chapter 10, a lawyer, a Pharisee, stood there. He stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teach, what shall I do? Here we go again. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this isn't the place where he said, just believe on me. This is, he, he, he knew this guy was messing with him. So he didn't always feel obligated to answer people's questions in the way they wanted them to. You ever notice that about Jesus? He saw through all their nonsense. He said to him, what's written in the law? Because <laughs> this guy was trying to earn something. So he said, okay, what's, what's the law say? Because they were still under the law. How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. It's the law of love. But, but he desiring to justice, he didn't, he didn't leave well enough alone. <laughs> the devil never does. Or when he's, don't call everybody the devil that does some piece of stupid. They're being used by the devil, but they don't know it. They're not the devil. They're, your battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the one influencing them, the spiritual realm, the negative one, okay? That deceiver, that liar, that accuser, that devil. So, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> like, do I have to be good at everybody? <laughs> You see, there was a lot of people, they hated, you know, anyone that wasn't full-blown Jew, you know. If you were a mutt, forget it. So we would all probably be, you know, 
excluded. And who's my neighbor? Jesus said, a man, and Jesus just has to answer with a parable. Now listen, parables are just using natural things to explain spiritual truths and they're concealed to these people. But they're not concealed from you, they're concealed for you. Right? You have the Holy Ghost. You can understand this now. Who's my neighbor? Jesus, and Jesus just started talking. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Just left him on the side of the road. Anybody ever been beat half to death and left to, and left to die? Besides me? <laughs> More than once? Okay. Well then, let's don't talk about that. Now, by chance... A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. <laughs> yeah, the priest. So likewise, a Levite, another supposedly holy man, who, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side too. <laughs> but a Samaritan, and so Jesus is using someone that he knew that this Jewish Legalists talking to him, testing him with despise. But a Samaritan, so he told him both, both, the first two he mentioned that passed by and didn't do the right thing, they were both Jews. And he's talking to a Jew. And now he tells him, now this guy that you hate, this Samaritan, he, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, where the, where the hurt man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Oh, these are all types and shadows, folks. This, 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 uh, this beat up person, that, that was you, okay? And this, uh, this, this Samaritan that patched him up and put the wine and the oil on, that's Jesus. Let's just, let's just leave that. And then you can also make that you because you're Christ, right? So he's using himself as the first example, but you're supposed to continue on in the same way. So let's just, that's all I'll say about those things for now, but I'm gonna to get to something else. So the Samaritan, he, he had compassion on the man and he, he, he bound up his wounds. He poured on the oil and the wine that's to, to heal him, to help heal him. And he took out two denarii. You know, there's nothing in the Bible by accident, is there? A denarii was considered, basically as a coin, it was considered one day's wage. It was sort of a generic, this is basically what you get for a day's wage. One day's wage is one denarii, okay, at the time. He gave him two, he took out two, and he gave them to the innkeeper where he had brought him. And he told him, take, he told the innkeeper, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay when I come back. That's Jesus, folks. Who's the innkeeper that he put in, put you in his care until he comes back? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Take care of this man. Take care of this woman. Whatever they need. I'll take care of it. And if this isn't enough, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll do whatever. That's how much he loves you. 
Then he tells him, which of these three did you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the guy had to admit, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. <laughs> and he's telling us the same thing, of course. But we know that. But listen, you're in good hands. Jesus has placed you. He said, it's good that I go away because now the Holy Spirit can come and he can be with each of you everywhere all the time. And he's gone. That's why he said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. We know he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He went down and conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he preached to those who had gone on before him. He took paradise, which used to be down next to hell, separated by a great chasm. And all those who died believing were down there. Remember when Lazarus went down to Abraham's bosom? Well, he took paradise with him to heaven. Because nobody could enter in until what? Jesus went into the real throne room of God, not the one that was built as a model of the one that was in heaven by, that he gave the, the blueprints of to, to the Jews. There's a real one in heaven and a real altar. And Jesus walked in there and put his blood on that altar. And when God looked down at the mercy seat, he doesn't see the broken commandments in there anymore. He doesn't see the manna that they complained against and rebelled against in the jar. He doesn't see the rod of Aaron that, that, that reminded him how they rebelled against his chosen authority. The people he had placed in authority over them. He doesn't see any of that. None of their sins. He only sees the blood of Jesus. Now, come on in. But meanwhile, we're in the care of the Holy Spirit. The one that Jesus said, you say anything you want about me, don't you ever talk bad about him. That will not be forgiven. He's the one that's with you and loves you and is leading and guiding you all the way through this life to your final destination with your heavenly bridegroom. And he's so good. He's so good. The two denarii, two denarii, two days wage until I come back. 2 Peter 3.8 Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Two denarii. It's been right at almost two thousand years. Okay. He's coming soon, folks. Amen. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Look up. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you. Let your fellow believers strengthen you but whatever you do continue to fight the good fight of faith don't let this stupid world make you weary to the point that you don't think that you have help 
you have all the help in the helper and in all of those in the body of Christ if they're doing right, if they really belong to the Lord. Psalm 73, 26 says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is your strength and your portion forever. That's all you need. Don't grow weary. Jesus is coming soon. Fight the good fight of faith. If you do, there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness. So just keep on fighting. Keep believing. Keep growing toward God. Keep loving Him and His people. Give. Serve. Give of yourselves till it hurts. And then run boldly to the throne room of grace that you may obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need and your times of refreshing in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He loves you so. Amen. He loves you so. Just let him know that you love him today. Somebody say thank you Jesus. Thank you. Let him know you trust him. Let him know we're not the ones that despise him. We, we, we're thankful people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus.